0: Part 6 of History of the Thirty Years' War, Volume 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by SS Kim, Seoul, South Korea. History of the Thirty Years' War, Volume 5, by Friedrich Schiller. The junction took place at Gießen and now they felt themselves strong enough to meet the enemy. The latter had followed the Swedes into Hesse in order to intercept their commissariat and to prevent their union with retrain. In both designs, they had been unsuccessful, and the imperialists now saw themselves cut off from the main and exposed to a great scarcity and won from the loss of their magazines. Wrangel took advantage of their weakness to execute the plan by which he hoped to give a new turn to the war. He, too, had adopted the maxim of his predecessor to carry the war into the Austrian states. But discouraged by the ill-success of Torstenson's enterprise, he hoped to gain his end with more certainty by another way. He determined to follow the course of the Danube and to break into the Austrian territories through the midst of the Bavaria. A similar design had been formerly conceived by Gustavus Adolphus, which he had been prevented carrying into effect by the approach of Wallenstein's army and the danger of Saxony. Duke Bernard, moving in his footsteps, and more fortunate than Gustavus, had spread his victorious banners between the Isar and the Inn, but the near approach of the enemy vastly superior in force obliged him to halt in his victorious career and lead back his troops. Wrangel now hoped to accomplish this object in which his predecessors had failed, the more so as the Imperial and Bavarian army was far in his rear upon the land, and could only reach Bavaria by a long march through Franconia and the Upper Palatinate. He moved hastily upon the Danube, defeated a Bavarian course near Donauwelt and passed that river, as well as the lake unopposed. But by wasting his time in the unsuccessful siege of Augsburg, he gave opportunity to the imperialists not only to relieve that city, but also to repulse him as well as Lauingen. No sooner, however, had they turned towards Swabia, with a view to remove the war from Bavaria, then seizing the opportunity, he repassed the Lech and guarded the passage of it against the imperialists themselves. Bavaria now lay open and defenceless before him. The French and Swedes quickly overran it, and the soldiery indemnified themselves for all dangers by frightful outrages, robberies, and extortions. The arrival of the imperial troops who at last succeeded in passing the lack at Tierhaften, only increased the misery of this country, which friend and foe indiscriminately plundered. And now, for the first time during the whole course of this war, the courage of Maximilian, which for eight and twenty years had stood unshaken amidst the fearful dangers, began to waver. Ferdinand II, his school companion at Ingolstadt, and the friend of his youth, was no more, and with the death of his friend and benefactor, the strong tie was dissolved which had linked the elector to the house of Austria. To the father, habit, inclination, and gratitude had attached to him. The son was a stranger to his heart, and political interest alone could preserve his fidelity to the latter prince. Accordingly, the motives which the artifices of France now put in operation, in order to detach him from the Austrian alliance and to induce him to lay down his arms, were drawn entirely from political consideration. It was not without a selfish object that Mazarin had so far overcome his jealousy of growing power of the Swedes as to allow the French to accompany them into Bavaria. His intention was to expose Bavaria to all the horror of the war, in the hope that the persevering fortitude of Maximilian might be subdued by necessity and despair, and the emperor deprived of his first and last ally. Brandenburg had, under its great sovereign, embraced the neutrality. Saxony had been forced to accede to it. The war with France prevented the Spaniards from taking any part in that of Germany. The peace with Sweden had removed Denmark from the theater of war, and Poland had been disarmed by a long truce. If they could succeed in detaching the elector of Bavaria also from Austrian alliance, the emperor would be without a friend in Germany and left to the mercy of the allied powers. Ferdinand III saw his danger and left no means untried to avert it but the elector of Bavaria was unfortunately led to believe that the Spaniards alone were disinclined to peace, and nothing but Spanish influence had induced the emperor so long to resist the cessation of hostilities. Maximilian detested the Spaniard and could never forgive their having opposed his application for the palatine electorate. Could it then be supposed that in order to gratify this hated power, He would see his people sacrificed his country lay waste and himself ruined when by a cessation of hostilities he could at once emancipate himself from all these distresses procure for his people the repose of which they stood so much in need and perhaps accelerate the arrival of general peace all doubts disappeared and convinced of the necessity of this step he thought he should sufficiently discharge his obligations to the emperor if he invite him also to share in the benefit of the truce. The deputies of three crowns and of Bavaria met at Ulm to adjust the conditions, but it was soon evident from the instructions of the Austrian ambassadors that it was not the intention of the emperor to second the conclusion of truce, but if possible to prevent it. It was obviously necessary to make the term acceptable to the Swedes, who had the advantage and had more to hope than to fear from the continuance of the war. They were the conquerors, and yet the emperors presumed to dictate to them. In the first transport of their indignation, the Swedish ambassadors were on the point of leaving the Congress, and the French were obliged to have recourse to threats in order to detain them. The good intentions of the Elector of Bavaria to include the emperor in the benefit of the truce having been thus rendered unavailing. He felt himself justified in providing for his own safety. However hard were the conditions on which the truce was to be purchased, he did not hesitate to accept it on any terms. He agreed to the Swedes extending their quarters in Swabia and Franconia and to his own being restricted to bavaria and the palatinate the conquest which he made in swabia were ceded to the allies who on their part, restored to him what they had taken from bavaria Cologne and hesse castle were also included in the truce after the conclusion of this treaty upon the fourteenth march sixteen forty seven the french and swedes left bavaria and in order not to interfere with each other Took up different quarters, the former in Buitenburg, the latter in the upper Swabia, in the neighborhood of Lake of Constance. On the extreme north of this lake, and on the most southern frontier of Swabia, the Austrian town of Bregenz, by its steep and narrow passes, seemed to defy attack. And in this persuasion, the whole peasantry of the surrounding villages had with their property taken refuge in this natural fortress. The rich booty which the store of provisions it contains gave reason to expect, and the advantage of possessing a pass into Tyrol, Switzerland, and Italy, induced the Swedish general to venture an attack upon this supposed impregnable post and town, in which he succeeded. Meantime, Turenne, according to agreement, marched into Wurttemberg, where he forced the Landgrave of Darmstadt and Elector meant to imitate the example of Bavaria, and to embrace the neutrality. And now, at last, France seems to have attained the great object of its policy, that of depriving the Emperor of the support of the League, and of his Protestant allies, and of dictating to him, sword in hand, the conditions of peace. Of all his once formidable power, an army not exceeding twelve thousand was all that remained to him, and this force he was driven to the necessity of entrusting the commands of a Calvinist, the Hessian deserter Melander, as the casualties of war had stripped him of his best generals. But as this war had been remarkable for the sudden change of fortune it displayed, and as every calculation of the state policy had been frequently baffled by some unforeseen events, in this case also the issue disappointed expectation. And after a brief crisis, the fallen power of Austria rose again to a formidable strength. The jealousy which France entertained of the Sweden prevented it from permitting the total ruin of the emperor, or allowing the Swedes to obtain such a preponderance in Germany, as might have been destructive to France herself. Accordingly, the French minister declined to take advantage of the distress of Austria, and the army of Trenne, separating from that of the Wrangel, retired to the frontier of the Netherlands. Wrangel, indeed, after moving from Swabia into Franconia, taking Schweinfurt, and incorporating the imperial garrison of that place with his own army attempted to make his way into Bohemia, and laid siege in Igra, the key of that kingdom. To relieve this fortress, the emperor put his last army in motion and placed himself at its head. But obliged to take a long circuit in order to spare the lands of von Schlick, the president of the Council of War, he protracted his march, and on his arrival, Igra was already taken. Both armies were now in sight of each other and a decisive battle was momentarily expected, as both were suffering from want and the two camps were only separated from each other by the space of the entrenchments. But the imperialists, although superior in numbers, contended themselves in keeping close to the enemy and harassing them by skirmishes, by fatiguing marches and famine, until the negotiations which had been opened with Bavaria was brought to a bearing. The neutrality of Bavaria was a wound under which the imperial court writhed impatiently and after in vain attempting to prevent it. Austria now determined if possible to turn it to advantage. Several officers of the Bavarian army had been offended by the step of their master which at once reduced them to inaction and imposed a burdensome restraint on their restless disposition. Even the brave John de Velt was at the head of the malcontents and encouraged by the emperor, he formed a plot to seduce the whole army from their allegiance to the elector and led it over to the emperor. Ferdinand did not blush to patronize this act of treachery against his father's most trusted ally. He formally issued a proclamation to the Bavarian troops, in which he recalled them to himself, reminded them that they were the troops of the empire, which the elect had merely commanded in the name of the emperor. Fortunately for Maximilian, he detected the conspiracy in time enough to anticipate and prevent it by the most rapid and effective measures. This disgraceful conduct of the emperor might have justified the reprisal, but Maximilian was too old a statesman to listen to the voice of passion, where policy alone ought to be heard. He had not derived from the truce the advantages he expected. Far from tending to accelerate the general peace, it had a pernicious influence upon the negotiations at Münster and Osnaburg, and had made the allies bolder in their demands. The French and Swede had indeed removed from Bavaria, but by the loss of his quarters in the Swabian circle, he found himself compelled either to exhaust his own territories by the subsistence of his troops, or at once to disband them and to throw aside the shield and spear at the very moment when the sword alone seemed to be the arbiter of right. Before embracing either of these certain evils, he determined to try a third step, the unfavorable issue of which was at least not so certain viz to renounce the truce and resume the war. This resolution and the assistance which he immediately dispatched to the emperor in Bohemia threatened materially to injure the Swedes, and Wrangel was compelled to in haste to evacuate that kingdom. He retired through the Tringia into Westphalia and Lunenburg in the hope of forming a junction with the French army on the Trin, while the Imperial and Bavarian army followed him to the Weser on the Meland and Gronsfeld. His ruin was inevitable if the enemy should overtake him before his junction with Tren, but the same consideration which had just saved the emperor now proved the salvation of the Swedes. Even amidst of all fury of the conquest, cold calculation of prudence guided the course of the war and the vigilance of different courts increased as the prospect of peace approached. The electoral Bavaria could not allow the emperor to obtain so decisive a preponderance as by the sudden alteration of affairs might delay the chances of general peace. Every change of fortune was important now when a pacification was so ardently desired by all, and when the disturbance of the balance of power among the contracting parties might at once annihilate the work of years, destroy the fruits of long and tedious negotiations, and indefinitely protract the repose of Europe. If France sought to restrain the Swedish crown within due bounds and measured out her assistance according to her success and defeats, The Elector of Bavaria silently undertook the same task with the Emperor, his ally, and determined by prudently dealing out his aid to hold the fate of Austria in his own hands. And now that the power of the Emperor threatened once more to attain a dangerous superiority, Maximilian at once ceased to pursue the Swedes. He was also afraid of reprisal from France who had threatened to direct Turenne's whole force against him if he allowed his troops to cross the Weser. Melander, prevented by the Bavarians from further pursuing Wrangle, crossed by Jena and Elfrut into Hesse, and now appeared as a dangerous enemy in the country, which he had formerly defended. If it was the desire of revenge upon his former sovereign which led him to choose Hesse for the scene of his ravage, he certainly had his full gratification. Under this scourge, the miseries of that unfortunate state reached their height, but he had soon reason to regret that, in the choice of his quarters, he had listened to the dictates of revenge rather than of prudence. In this exhausted country, his army was oppressed by want while Wrangel was recruiting his strength and remounting his cavalry in Lunenburg. Too weak to maintain his wretched quarters against the Swedish general when he opened the campaign in the winter of 1648 and marched against Hesse, he was obliged to retire with disgrace and take refugee on the banks of the Danube. France had once more disappointed the expectation of Sweden and the armies of Turenne, disregarding the remonstrances of Wrangel, had remained upon the Rhine. The Swedish leader revenged himself by drawing into his service the cavalry of Weimar, which had abandoned the standard of France, though by this step, he further increased the jealousy of that power. Turenne received permission to join the Swedes, and the last campaign of this eventful war was now opened by the United Armies. Driving Melander before them along the Danube, they threw supplies into Igra, which was besieged by the imperialists and defeated the imperial and Bavarian armies on the Danube, which ventured to oppose them at Susmarshausen, where Melander was mortally wounded. After this overthrow, the Bavarian general Gronsfeld placed himself on the farther side of the lake in order to guard Bavaria from the enemy. But Grunsfeld was not more fortunate than Tilly, who in this same position has sacrificed his life for Bavaria. Wrangel and Turenne chose the same spot for passing the river, which was so glorious marked by the victory of the Gustavus Adolphus and accomplished it by the same means too, which had favoured their predecessor. Bavaria was now second time overrun, and the breach of the truce punished by the severest treatment of its inhabitants. Maximilian sought shelter in Salzburg where the Swedes crossed the Isel and forced their way as far as the Inn. A violent and continued rain, which in a few days swelled this inconsiderable stream into a broad river, saved Austria once more from the threatened danger. The enemy ten times attempted to form a bridge of boats over the Inn and as often it was destroyed by the current. Never during the whole course of the war had the imperialists been in so great consternation as at present when the enemy was in the center of Bavaria and when they had no longer a general left who could be matched against the Duren, a wrangle and a Königsmark. At last the brave Piccolomini arrived from the Netherlands, to assume the commands of the feeble wreck of the imperialists, by their own ravages in Bohemia, the allies had rendered their subsistence in that country impracticable, and were at last driven by the scarcity to retreat into the Upper Palatinate, where the news of the peace put a period to their activity. Königsmark, with his flying corps, advanced toward the Bohemia, where Ernst Odwarski a disbanded captain who, after being disabled in the imperial service, had been dismissed without a pension, laid before him a plan for surprising the lesser side of the city of Prague. Königsmark successfully accomplished the bold enterprise and acquired the reputation of closing the Thirty Years' of War by the last brilliant achievement. This decisive stroke, which vanquished the emperor's irresolution, caused the sweden only the loss of a single man but the old town the larger half of prague which is divided into two parts by the moldau by its vigorous resistance wearied out the efforts of the palatine charles gustavus the successor of christina on the throne who had arrived from sweden with fresh troops and had assembled the whole swedish force in bohemia and Silesia before its walls. The approach of winter at last drove the besiegers into their quarters, and in the meantime, the intelligence arrived that a peace had been signed at Munster on the 24th October. The colossal labor of concluding this solemn and ever-memorable and sacred treaty, which is known by the name of Peace of Westphalia, the endless obstacles which were to be surmounted, the contending interests which it was necessary to reconcile, the concatenation of circumstances which must have cooperated to bring to a favorable termination this tedious, but precious and permanent work of policy—the difficulties which beset the very opening of the negotiations, and maintaining them when opened during the ever fluctuating vicissitude of the war, finally arranging the conditions of peace, and still more the carrying them into effect—what were the conditions of this peace? what each contending power gained or lost by the toils and sufferings of Thirty Years' War, what modification it wrought upon the general system of European policy. These are matters which must be relinquished to another pen. The history of the peace of Westphalia constitutes a whole as important as the history of the war itself. A mere abridgment of it would reduce to a mere skeleton one of the most interesting and characteristic monuments of human policy and passions, and deprive it of every feature calculated to fix the attention of the public, for which I write and of which I now respectfully take my leave. End of Part 6 End of History of the Thirty Years' War, Volume 5, by Friedrich Schiller Translated by Reverend Alexander James William Morrison, 1806 to 1865.